0: Good morning from WKYT News, I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Later we'll discuss Lexington's response to the intense heat, especially when it comes to the city's vulnerable homeless population. But first, Kentucky's health commissioners here, and we'll talk about a range of topics including the heat and the decision to no longer pursue a state ban on tattoos over damaged skin. There were hundreds of comments about the proposal. The state is moving forward with updating its regulations on tattoos parlors and artists. We'll also talk about some other health issues facing the Commonwealth. What's the latest on efforts to fight the opioid crisis? Hepatitis A vaccinations being done by a strike team of nurses now who are going to jails and other facilities. And vaping among teenagers has skyrocketed. We'll talk about that. And weeks before school starts, a new year, what are some things parents need to know and be thinking about right now? Kentucky's health commissioner is Dr. Jeffrey Howard, and he is joining us, and we appreciate that very much. Doctor, Thanks for coming in. Well, thanks for having me. This is a weekend in which uh, we're concerned with these uh, high temperatures that we're experiencing across the Commonwealth. Uh, Very intense heat in Kentucky right now. What should people keep in mind in this
1: situation? Well, over the next several days, we're going to experience really unprecedented levels of heat and humidity here in Kentucky. So what people need to do is, is prepare for that. So be indoors when they can. And if you're going to be outdoors, make sure you have on light, loose clothing, that you drink plenty of water, and that you work with a buddy system. What I'm particularly worried about is our elderly and young populations. We need to make sure that the kids and pets are not left in their in their cars because those temperatures can rise very rapidly. And also about the elderly populations who may be in homes by themselves, so their air conditioner can break. So we need to check on them as much as we can. So when you've heard of buddy system, you're meaning somebody be accountable for somebody else. Check Abs- on each other. Absolutely. And that's especially important for people who are working outdoors. We need to make sure that we're checking on one another, that people might experience heat exhaustion or even heat stroke. Heat stroke tends to occur when sweating stops. And so if you're outdoors, very hot, and you stop sweating, that's a major sign for concern.
0: We're expecting to get some relief going into the new week, and that uh, certainly is going to be welcome. But at this point, is the state uh, prepared uh, in case there were to be some kind of a, a large-scale outage somewhere or a problem, you know, a nursing home without power, or
1: uh, maybe even a, an entire community lose power in this situation? Absolutely. So part of the work of the Department of Public Health is health preparedness, and we're, we're doing that that work every day, and the public often doesn't know about it until there's an issue, but should a facility lose power or use, lose the ability to air condition, we'll be ready to respond nearly immediately. And uh,
0: and I guess that goes the heat in this situation, but you have to be ready for earthquakes, other potential
1: disasters. Absolutely. As you know, Kentucky sits on one of the biggest fault lines in the country, so we'll be ready to respond should that happen. We'll get a reminder of that every so often, don't we? Yes, we do. Alright, so in this
0: uh, situation, in the summer, people are out uh, trying to uh, get a break, and we're advising people, you know, uh, go to the pool or go uh, get in some water if you can to get to seek some shelter. But some are out to swimming in lakes and rivers. And uh, there have been some concerns in recent days about a flesh-eating bacteria. It's been identified in other states. Uh, there, there may have
1: been a case here in Kentucky. Uh, what would you have people know about that? So the medical term for the flesh-eating bacteria is necrotizing fasciitis. And that's just when a bacteria can be introduced through a break in the skin, that causes the tissue to die essentially. It's most commonly a group A strep, but it can be multiple bacteria or other types of bacteria that cause this to happen. What the general public needs to know is if you have wounds, cracks in the skin, uh, you should not be swimming in freshwater um, lakes and pools, etc. And then one of the most important things you can do is if you do have those wounds, proper wound care. Wash with warm soapy water. Keep them covered as it, as you're um, guided to by your physician or care provider.
0: Would you say that uh, people who, uh, who are swimming in the water at this point are, are taking some kind of chance, or do you think this is really limited to uh, vulnerable
1: populations? For the most part, necrotizing fasciitis or the flesh-eating bacteria is a extremely rare infection, most oftenly occurring in those who are already ill at baseline. So. Uh, For the general public, again, the recommendation would be I would not recommend swimming in pools or freshwater Uh, freshwater uh, swimming areas if you have those cuts, wounds, or breaks in your skin that you shouldn't be. Especially if you have an open medical wound or surgical wound, definitely do not be in those areas. All right, Doctor. Let's
0: talk about this. The proposed tattoo regulation certainly got our attention and obviously that of many other Kentuckians. Uh, In fact, you had hundreds of comments uh, when you had a comment period about that. Why did you initially consider uh, banning tattoos on scarred
1: skin? So there's, there were some folks in the department when we were um, updating this regulation who were examining what other states were doing, and one of the provisions that we've seen commonly was uh, the prohibition of tattooing over fresh scars. And in most of our tattoo artists, I would wager nearly all of our tattoo artists would never do such a thing. But we wanted to put that language in the, in the regulation just to make sure it didn't happen. However, the language we ended up putting in ended up being a little too expensive. And this is how our regulatory process is supposed to work. We proposed some language that the public let us know was, uh, had some unintended consequences, and we changed the regulation appropriately. So I'm happy to report that we made a change um, that the public really wanted, and we believe they were right.
0: So you you acknowledge you responded to the intense feedback, but at the same time the science uh, uh, is good in where you did decide to go.
1: So yeah, I think so. And at the bottom line is we want people who who want to get tattoos to be able to get them in a safe environment. And tattooing over a fresh wound or fresh scar is not safe, but tattooing over an old scar, especially for cosmesis after surgery, is absolutely safe in the right hands.
0: This is the first time you've updated those regulations in some time, uh, and you will it looks like be uh, Imposing some new restrictions on uh, tattoo parlors and
1: artists, right? So there are going to be some. Those will be very minimal, and we've actually had great input from some of our tattoo artists across the state that helped inform those. That regulation is available for view on the uh, legislation review website. So we encourage everyone to go there who has further questions. And um, but we're very happy with the end result.
0: When you and, and you make the point, this is how, in your view, government is supposed to work. Uh, things are proposed, they're talked about,
1: uh, stakeholders come in, and then a decision is eventually reached. Well, I think this administration, and especially the Department I've ran and, and and part of the cabinet, is we've really wanted to, we really wanted input from the public on these issues. It's the people's government, and we try to make sure that their voices heard. And this was a perfect example of how it can work correctly. Commissioner Howard, uh, we continue
0: to uh, uh, see that the opioid crisis is horrific and the state and local governments are are fighting it on several fronts. There was this past week some encouraging news that came out on the national level, a national study showing fewer overdose deaths. Are we
1: seeing that trend in Kentucky? Absolutely. So that national news was absolutely tremendous. As you know, the opioid epidemic has been an absolute plague on our state and our country. We're losing Kentuckians and Americans every day. Nationally, we're seeing that trend decrease, and we're seeing a similar trend here in Kentucky. And we think our good work and the funding we're putting behind this is actually coming to fruition now.
0: You think the use is down, or is it uh, maybe the more uh, readily
1: riddle, available to knock naloxone? That I think sort of it's thing. a combination thereof. It's a combination of awareness. It's a combination of, of naloxone availability, and it's also decreased stigma over time. I think we're seeing more and more people with substance use disorder seeking help when in the past they might not have. And yet, we seem to have a patchwork of treatment in
0: Kentucky. Are, are we getting better about kind of? unifying that or streamlining that for people, you know, some are able to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes on treatment and, and, and go long term uh, to programs, uh, while some others are left in jails virtually untreated. Uh, is that disparity part of our challenge right now?
1: It absolutely is. I think it's improving over time. But let me tell you, I've seen this firsthand, and it's an issue I care a lot about. When I was 22 years old, about to start medical school, my mother, who had an addiction, I tried to find her care and treatment. And we were unable to find anyone to take her at that time. So I know what these families are like when they're facing that desperation and just wanting to get a loved one help. I think we're, we're making some positive progress on that in this state today.
0: And certainly a factor uh, in, as well in that the IV drug use has led to uh, uh, infections like HIV and hepatitis C. Some cities and counties have needle exchange programs that are going on. There's a Kentucky harm reduction vehicle that is out there. How are these efforts uh, working
1: out? So Kentucky is actually a leader in the terms of harm reduction. The infectious complications of substance use is an extremely costly but often underrated issue as it relates to substance use disorder. HIV, Hepatitis C, Hepatitis A are all direct uh, descendants of our substance use problem in this state. We have one of the broadest networks of harm reduction uh, programs in the country. We have 59 active, 5 more in the wings. That's expanded from 46 during my uh, tenure as health commissioner and I'm very proud of that effort. But we're not only using them as an opportunity for syringe services. WE SEE THEM AS AN OPPORTUNITY TO ENGAGE THE AT-RISK POPULATIONS, PREVENT THE TEST AND PREVENT THE INFECTIOUS COMPLICATIONS, SO HIV, HEPATITIS C, BUT ALSO TRY TO LINK PEOPLE TO CARE. AND what WHAT I FOUND IS THAT THE PEOPLE WHO COME TO THESE SERVICE PROGRAMS ARE FUNDAMENTALLY DIFFERENT FROM THOSE WHO DON'T in terms of the psychology of addiction and recovery. They've acknowledged what they're doing is causing them harm, and they've taken a step to do something about it. That's an opportunity we can capitalize
0: on. And uh, sometimes the next step then is to to seek some real help. Absolutely. uh, There's this nurse's strike force uh, that has been going out to uh, jails and other facilities.
1: Uh, What are they doing? So we have a nurse vaccination team who's going out in our communities and trying to reach the at-risk population with hepatitis A where they're at. One of the challenges we've had in the Hepatitis A outbreak is reaching the at-risk populations. In our state, unlike some of the other states, 80 percent of cases with Hepatitis A have substance use disorder, both intravenous and non intravenous drug use. And that population is very difficult to get to. They don't come to our health departments for for help. So we're using our strength service programs, but we also realized we had to meet them where they're at. And for some cases, that's in our jails. So we're sending this nurse vaccination team out to jails in Eastern Kentucky to provide vaccinations. To date, they've provided over 2,500 vaccinations to people in the state. But remember, this is still voluntary. So they still have to sign the paperwork and agree to get the vaccinations.
0: Mental health in Kentucky, and I don't know to what extent you oversee that, and I know know that is more broad-based across state government, but it is certainly an area that uh, we see as inadequately addressed in our commonwealth.
1: Well, I would say that most of this is governed by our Department for Behavioral Health, which is not under my purview. But I can tell you they're doing a tremendous amount of work to expand the available services that are, that are out there. But the point, the big issues we have, just like with substance use disorder, is overcoming the stigma. For so long, we have created a stigma and a negative connotation around these illnesses. They are really pervasive. They're extremely prevalent. And we need to make sure we're meeting the people where they're at and getting them the help they need. What we see far too often, again, just like substance use disorder, is that we're intervening too far upstream. We've got to get downstream. We've got to get at the bottom of that funnel before it gets too broad, and the complications too expensive and too difficult to deal with. Dr. Jeffrey Howard is Kentucky's Commissioner of Public Health, and
0: we're going to come back with him in just a moment. The vaping among teenagers is uh, said to be an epidemic these days, and it won't be long till the kids will be returning to school. What are some things uh, parents should be thinking about? We're coming right back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're visiting today with Kentucky's Health Commissioner Dr. Jeffrey Howard, and then later on, Polly Ruddick will be here from Lexington's Office of Homeless Prevention. Uh, she'll be talking about this uh, intense heat that we're experiencing this weekend and what the city is doing to try to reach out and help folks. Uh, Commissioner Howard, uh, vaping is a, a major issue in the, in the country among teenagers right now. Uh, what are your concerns about that?
1: Well. America's Surgeon General Jerome Adams declared it an epidemic amongst our youth, and that's certainly what we're seeing here in Kentucky. Uh, Vaping amongst our youth has increased 200% since 2016. A study in Kentucky particularly showed that 63% of high school seniors have used an electronic cigarette during their high school career. That's a major problem. And it's a major problem because we know that the mind, the brain, is still developing until we're 25 years old. There's important connections being made, and we know that nicotine and the chemicals in electronic cigarettes can alter those connections. So vaping is never okay for our youth. Do you acknowledge that it might have some benefits for adults who are trying to leave cigarettes behind? Yes, so for some adults who want to transition from TRADITIONAL CIGARETTES, VAPING CAN BE AN OPTION FOR THEM. AND SO THAT'S ONE OF THE BALANCES WE HAVE TO HAVE. BUT IT'S NEVER OKAY FOR OUR YOUTH. COULD the, uh, THE FEDERAL PROPOSAL BY
0: SENATOR MCCONNELL TO RAISE THE AGE FOR TOBACCO PURCHASES INCLUDING VAPING PRODUCTS TO 21 BE POTENTIALLY HELPFUL?
1: IT WOULD BE HELPFUL IN DECREASING THE NUMBER OF PEOPLE UTILIZING uh, Vaping and tobacco products, for sure.
0: How do you get at this? I mean, is this a, an education process? Will uh, you know high schoolers listen to the commissioner of health on this
1: issue? Well, it's really reaching them where they're at. It's schools implementing school-based policies, and as parents being aware of what their children are utilizing. It's very difficult, though. Some of these uh, uh, electronic cigarette products, for Juul, for example, looks like an electronic flash drive. And so you may see it in your kid's backpack and not even know. So I'd encourage parents to be extremely diligent, talk to their kids about the risk of vaping. Let me give you an example of why vaping can be so dangerous for our youth. A study out of the Harvard School of Public Health showed that electronic cigarettes, the the, um, fluid that's in them often contains inflammatory molecules to our lungs. So, if a kid who has asthma were to get that or be exposed to it, that could be almost life-threatening for them. So, vaping can be dangerous, and sometimes they're shared around as well. right? Absolutely, and which can once we enter flu season, in our schools, could be a significant detriment. IN TWO TO
0: THREE WEEKS SCHOOLS WILL BE STARTING BACK AND uh, KIDS WILL BE HEADING BACK TO SCHOOL. SHOULD PARENTS uh, uh, HAVE SOME THINGS IN MIND ABOUT uh, VACCINATIONS, ABOUT GETTING THOSE KIDS uh, READY uh, FOR THAT NEW ROUTINE
1: OF GOING BACK TO SCHOOL? SO ABSOLUTELY. SO THE FIRST THING IS ESTABLISHING GOOD HEALTH PRACTICES. AND THAT STARTS WITH LUNCH AND BREAKFAST. WE ENCOURAGE OUR KIDS TO to GET A GOOD BREAKFAST EVERY MORNING BEFORE THEY START SCHOOL. IN TERMS OF VACCINATIONS, THERE'S NO CHANGES TO THE VACCINATION SCHEDULE THIS YEAR, BUT LAST YEAR WAS THE FIRST YEAR WE HAD INTRODUCED THE HEPATITIS A VACCINE REQUIREMENTS FOR SCHOOL-AGED KIDS. AND SO FOR SOME OF THOSE WHO NEEDED THAT SECOND SHOT, THEY they NEED TO MAKE SURE THEY HAVE RECEIVED IT. TRADITIONALLY IT'S SIX MONTHS AFTER THE FIRST ONE. THE uh, CABINET THROUGH
0: Medicaid is trying to push out more health services to to some schools
1: as well. Uh, Will that be done for this school year? So Deputy Secretary Putnam has absolutely led this initiative to make sure that health services are expanded in our schools and our kids have health services where they need them. There will start to be some services available as early as this year. Many of our local health departments are actually providing school-based health care in our schools today. And actually we allow nurses under those circumstances to um, provide significant amounts of services including well-child examinations in schools. All right. Uh, the Cabinet has rolled out something that you call the Public Health
0: Transformation Overview. And uh, you sent me that document, and I looked at it, and there's a lot to it. But essentially, uh, it's a roadmap ahead uh, for uh, for health,
1: public health in Kentucky. Absol- Where do you see us going? Well, first off, is our pension crisis is absolutely driving public health in a new direction. Also, the Affordable Care Act and Medicaid expansion in the state changed the role of public health. But this really gets back to a question you asked me when I first did this show after becoming health commissioner. You had asked me what do I need to do to be successful or what would be a measure of success? And my answer to that was, we have to unite the health system around community. I believe for us to be healthier as a state, we have to differentiate our service offerings, our programmatic offerings to the community level. And so the over the high level overview of this plan is we're putting our communities in charge of deciding what's important for them. No longer will Frankfurt drive the agenda on health. We're letting communities drive the agenda in public health How in the future. Difficult is it for you to do your job in such an unhealthy state historically? Well, it I find it as a driving factor. And I love our state so much and, and her people that it, it's a privilege to do this job every day. I appreciate you coming.
0: Thank you very Thank much. You Hope you'll stay with us. And coming up next, Polly Ruddick, the director of Lexington's Office of Homeless Prevention, will join us. She'll talk about how the city is helping those who have no place to call home during the heat wave. We'll be back. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're with us. And chances are, if you're watching this program, you're inside with air conditioning shielding you from that intense heat that we're experiencing this weekend in Kentucky. Some don't have that luxury and, in fact, face tough challenges, regardless of the weather, in finding a place to stay. Polly Ruddock runs Lexington's Office of Homelessness and Prevention, and she is joining us today in this situation. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it very much.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So, the weather's brutal out there. the city is stepping up its efforts at this point now to uh, try to provide some outreach.
2: Yes. So the city um, went under a what we consider a phase three heat warning based on the National Weather Service. When that, did that on Thursday, I believe. So for the last three days, we've been stepping up efforts, opening cooling centers, making sure Lextran um, could move everybody where they needed to go. We've been asking, you know, check on your neighbors, check on those without air conditioning and um, I get asked quite often what's the difference between heat and cold and I get a lot more nervous for our population in the summer than I do the winter. In the winter it's almost like ingrained in us to go inside Mm -hmm. and in the summer we just don't think about that when we're outside, oh we're fine, oh we're fine and then all of a sudden it just kind of hits you and you're not okay. And so I get much more concerned about our population in the summer, it's just not ingrained in our. DNA to go inside.
0: It's important to point out that these services that are being made on uh, on this uh, available on this emergency basis are for anyone. It feels like they need them, right?
2: Yeah, so there's three different phases for our plan. There's phase one that we target our homeless population and then there's a phase two where we the city kind of steps in and opens some cooling centers and then there's phase three where we will go in and open even more cooling centers to make sure everybody has access to some air conditioning and some cool temps. So for us, our partners, and I always say I love my partners they're amazing so the hope Center has their Hope Mobile that will go out during the week. I know Jenny with Catholic Action Center is running the Compassionate Caravan this weekend. So we're asking for donations of bottles of water, sunscreen, hats. I know it may sound interesting, but dry clothes. So when you and I sweat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can go inside. We can take our shoes off. We can get clean socks. And for our population, they don't have access to that. So dry clothes, summer clothes, flip flops those types of items.
0: So they are actively going around and trying to make those uh, items available to people.
2: Yes, the compassionate caravan is currently asking for bottles of water and gas cards for the van because they're going to be running pretty continuously or they have been running pretty continuously for the last three days. They're going to run again today. Um, Hope Mobile ran Thursday and Friday. And of course, we are going to get a reprieve. I THINK TOMORROW, MAYBE TUESDAY. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. BUT IF YOU LOOK AT NEXT WEEKEND, WE'RE GOING RIGHT BACK INTO THE 90s. SO CONTINUOUS DONATIONS OF WATER, CONTINUOUS DONATIONS OF SUNSCREEN, THAT MAKES ALL THE DIFFERENCE TO OUR FOLKS.
0: A SUSTAINED ISSUE DURING Mm -hmm. during THE SUMMER MONTHS. IT REALLY IS. LEXINGTON AND THE BLUEGRASS REGION Polly, ARE are, are SO PROSPEROUS IN MANY WAYS. YOU you KNOW, YOU DRIVE AROUND, YOU SEE THE FARMS, YOU SEE Mm -hmm. THE BEAUTIFUL HOMES, AND YET SOME DON'T EVEN HAVE A MODEST PLACE TO STAY. Uh, how does that that, that contrast uh, make you feel in the job that you do?
2: <laughs> it's interesting. We do live in a in a beautiful place, and we do take care of each other. Especially times like the last couple days, you see the outpouring of support, and that and that's great. And we encourage that, and and do what you can do. But then you do look at our horse farms and the money that's in our community and the, the contrast between what I see every single day going out under the bridges and these folks and there's two things that we focus on is affordable housing who who do we want living in our community do we want to be inclusive of everyone and really work on affordable housing and the other one is a community impact of funding So, you and I have talked several times about what can we actually do to end homelessness and I've always said it comes down to funding for these individuals that are living on the street and to to get them to a place where they can be concerned about their income and employment. No one's getting a job under a bridge. No one's going to get sober under a bridge. So providing that housing is the first step to someone being self-sufficient. So having the community rally around that um, and providing that housing first, we call it housing first, um, so then we can make people self-sufficient. So when we have um, days and days upon summer heat and cold, we have a population that no longer needs to worry about surviving.
0: What should people watching this program know about uh, the homeless population in Lexington?
2: That they're just like you and me? I tell people all the time, could have been homeless in my 20s, multiple times, living paycheck to paycheck. Everybody's one crisis away from homelessness. They just don't know it. Um, some people have better support systems than others. I can call my mom. I can call my dad. I can call my sister. Some people don't have that, and that is one crisis. And then they turn to us to become those support systems, just like you and me.
0: Do you see things getting better over time?
2: I do. I think we're learning more about best practices on how to end homeless. I think we're educating the public on really the solutions. Um, I equate it to medical profession. We do surgery so differently now, and a lot of outpatient surgeries, best practices for medical field. We're learning the same thing in the homeless world. Best practices, um, trauma-informed care, how really to put people on the road of recovery FROM THEIR HOMELESSNESS um, AND MAKE A SUSTAINABLE IMPACT. AND I'M EXCITED TO SEE WHAT HAPPENS.
0: IS ONE ELEMENT OF THIS THAT PEOPLE COME TO LEXINGTON FOR THE HIGH LEVEL OF uh, MEDICAL SERVICES OR OTHER uh, SOCIAL SERVICES THAT MAY Mm -hmm. BE AVAILABLE HERE uh, AND THEN then THEY FIND THAT IT'S NOT
2: ENOUGH. <laughs> YEAH, WE DO SEE AN INFLOW FROM EASTERN AND WESTERN KENTUCKY um, FOR THOSE FOLKS THAT ARE SEEKING EMPLOYMENT. THERE'S NOT JOB OPPORTUNITIES IN EASTERN KENTUCKY, SO THEY'LL COME HERE AND ENTER OUR HOMELESS SYSTEM WAITING TO FIND EMPLOYMENT. WE SEE THAT QUITE OFTEN. WE DO uh, WORK WITH INDIVIDUALS TO GO BACK TO THE COMMUNITIES IN WHICH THEY BECAME HOMELESS AND SUSTAIN THEM THERE. WE HAVE PARTNERS ACROSS THE STATE, KENTUCKY HOUSING Corporation. Um, allows us to partner and really if you if you came to Lexington for the services but maybe you just really you're only here for the services this is not your support area we will put you back in the community that has your support area and that that is your support system and so we work with hundreds of partners across the state to, TO MAKE SURE PEOPLE ARE WHERE THEY WANT TO BE.
0: HOMELESS ADVOCATES, AND YOU INCLUDED, HAVE BEEN VERY QUICK TO SEPARATE THE PANHANDLING ISSUE IN LEXINGTON mm-hmm. FROM THE OVERALL ISSUE OF HOMELESSNESS, SO uh, yeah. THAT CONTINUES TO BE AN ISSUE IN LEXINGTON AS WELL.
2: SO WE HAVE A DECREASE OF panhandling. YOU DON'T SEE IT AS MUCH ANYMORE AS YOU DID TWO YEARS AGO IN 2017 WHEN IT EXPLODED. WE DO, I ACTUALLY MET A LADY ABOUT TWO MONTHS AGO FROM Jasmine COUNTY, um, SHE WAS IN HERE as her job she came into Lexington every morning to panhandle on her corner of Maxwell and Limestone and she was not homeless nor was she from here so we still see the professional panhandlers Um, we do see some of our folks that are still out there that um, consider it their sole source of income and probably is Um, we continue to work with those individuals again um, the more people we house and end and reduce homelessness Panhandling goes down. They work hand in hand. Um, so I, you know, I stress the we can put it in, our, in in initiatives around panhandling. But if you really want to end panhandling in your community, then you'll end homelessness.
0: I love the way you take a, a comprehensive view of <laughs> things, and we appreciate you coming by. Oh,
2: always. Thank you love so much. I being here.
0: And let's hope everybody uh, stays safe in this uh, yes. ongoing heat situation. Yes. Well to thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll see you bright and early this week for WKYT this morning. And you make it a good week ahead.